Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Brad Large. How's it going, everybody? I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and uh, I'm just going to do a quick shout about shout out about my book. It is about finding a job. This is a freelancing podcast. I get it. Uh, a lot of the stuff in the book, though, I learned doing freelancing, and it works really well finding clients. So go check it out. It's the Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. This may go live right around when the audiobook comes out, but it is available right now in paperback and um, ebook on Amazon. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. We have a special guest this week, and that's uh, Christian Ludemann. Christian, do you want to say hello and introduce yourself? Let us know why you're famous and all that good stuff. How's it going? It's Christian Ludemann here. And uh, yeah, I work as a freelance software developer. I specialize in Angular development and I do uh, training now mostly online, which is what we're going to talk a deal about today. And I have my blog at christianludemann.com where I blog about Angular development. Nice. Well, maybe we should talk about... um... Yeah, talk about uh, Angular on uh, Adventures in Angular sometime. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and uh, dive into this. You're, we're talking about online training and courses and things like that. And uh, incidentally, I'm actually working on a courses platform at the moment. I'm going to have a Kickstarter up soon too. Um, but yeah, uh, for for people who are looking at opportunities to get in and do some of the courses stuff, right? Where, you know, maybe you have some residual income from it, or, um, you know, you go do some marketing, and and it doesn't matter how many hours you put in, it's just how good your marketing is. Um, They see it as an opportunity to make money in a different way. Um, How do you kind of prep for and build courses? And then how do you promote them? I I think are are kind of the things that I want to dive into. Um, But but let's talk about designing a course that people are going to want to buy. How do you know what to make the course on in the first place? So actually, I started out making this as an in-house uh, workshop. That's how I started out doing it. And in-house workshops, they are, they're not that long as you can make an online course, which was also why I wanted to go more in the online courses space. Because you can provide much more value and at a much lower price in that space. So I started doing in-house workshops where I got feedback from there. I could, I could tell from the attendance when they got lost, when it really provided value. And also I followed up after so I could see which things actually provided a lot of results for them. So that's is a good way to start to be very uh, in touch with the audience as you start out creating the course and, and start out doing it as in-house uh, because it's 
so crucial. You get that feedback early on before you spend hundreds and hundreds of hours creating your course because once it's out there, once you created it, it's, it's so hard to edit it later. So also that all ties up to the marketing part where you want to make sure that you are understanding the attendance of the course. You're understanding what need you're targeting because actually it took some time for me to get this rolling and, and to get consistent income every month selling courses and even doing it at a pretty uh, high end, uh, high end scale. Um, and what I, I did differently and what made it work was I started to target a primary need as a contrast to know, you know, just having like a fact list of, uh, this is an angular course and it provides, uh, RxJS information and all this stuff information. Here I'm actually, I'm focusing on a deeper and more valuable outcome for the ascent, uh, for the developer. And that's ultimately that if you take this, uh, which is an advanced uh, Angular course to become an Angular architect, then there's no way you shouldn't be able to pro provide some of the results that I'm able to provide as a consultant at a high rate to other users. So you could take this and you can go and become a consultant, Angular consultant after, and you can provide amazing results for different companies as I have done with this. That makes sense. And I'm all about results. I mean, um, one of the core values of devchat.tv is being results driven. And uh, yeah, a large part of that is, um, you know, we don't focus so much on how we, we want the result, right? So if it's growth, mm -hmm. if it's um, getting episodes out on time, if it's, you know, whatever, you know, so some of those are more concrete than others. But yeah, you know, this course is going to help you get the outcome you want. Yeah. And the thing is, the more valuable you can create that outcome and how you can package your course to actually have a very promising outcome, then you can charge so much more for it and it's going to be so much more valuable for the user to take. Yeah. Like, um, it's, it's about what I found out is I'm, so I'm working with DevOps and Angular. I have a background as a consultant doing this and I know a bunch about process optimization and how to be more like elite on a, a software development project. So by combining these disciplines in one course, instead of just only focusing on Angular, where Angular knowledge, you can only get so far with, you know, just uh, very good technical best practices. You also need to know about how you can be efficient with processes, how you can be efficient with, especially DevOps these days for automation is a big deal in actually getting a competitive advantage for companies because it's such a huge cost saver and it makes you, for example, go from being able to deliver code uh, and release maybe once a month to do it several times a day. So it's not just some, some nerdy uh, fiddling around with tools. It's really, it's actually a big competitive advantage. You can, you can promise in that course that it's worth a lot of money. So, so in, by packaging, like a complete package that can have that kind of promise, that's why you can really, you can, you can make your course really high end and make mm -hmm. it really high value. You just need to, sometimes you need to combine different disciplines instead of just looking at it with, from one perspective. 
And, and I guess that's, that's how many people, they, they get stuck at maybe selling Udemy courses at a low rate because they're not combining disciplines. They are, for example, hey, here's how you, you create a, a website from scratch, but they're not really, you're not, they're not really focusing on a very valuable outcome with it. It's just like, okay, I now I have this website and that's why, that's why I'm only, only willing to pay like 10 bucks for this Udemy course. But if you then combine that and create a course for like, this is how you, you start a Shopify shop and how you market it and stuff, it's not that much more work to make it more of a complete package. It's not that much more work, but it provides so much more value. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I did the same thing for my book where we were talking about how to find your dream developer job. And I mean, that's, that's a pretty direct outcome. And yeah, and then pulling all of the things together to get them there. I, I really, really like the approach. So let's say that I figure out, and I'm just going to pull something out of the air. Um, so let's say that I decide that, yeah, you know, I want um, to build a Webpack course. You know, I hear people complain all the time that it's complicated. What do I do next? It's, you shouldn't, I, I, the best, if you, from a business perspective, you shouldn't start with saying, I want a Webpack course you should start by listening to the market so okay. you should you should find out okay what is valuable for a developer and then if you can if the maybe webpack is is part of the solution maybe yes it's for example for part let's say you are a front-end developer yeah it's part of the solution there so maybe you can package it like how to get a front-end developer job and then webpack is part of that because if you can if you can make it with promise about getting increasing your chances of getting a front-end developer job and maybe you can package it with one thing is you can package it with the technical knowledge of with webpack and maybe some javascript um training and maybe even also training in in how to go to a job interview if you combine these disciplines it's going to be way more valuable and and it's more like the full package because if you only target one, one angle, like only Webpack part, it's not so much value for, for the developer that could Google a lot of that stuff. But if you package mm -hmm. it all together, that's why it makes sense. Because, because that's the thing about online courses that we can Google a lot of stuff today. But the value I in like online it. training is the packaging and mm -hmm. the outcome you can get by following a recipe in that specific package. Yeah, yeah I really, go ahead, oh, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, I love how you package that together with DevOps too, because, uh, you know, I think back to a lot of the training I did when I was becoming a software developer or getting into something and, you know, learning the syntax is a small part of it. Actually learning how to apply it and those DevOps principles, those are like a third to half your job pretty much. So yeah. learning that and combining those two things, I could see how that would create like an exponential value proposition there because not only are you teaching them the basics, but you're teaching them how to apply it, right? Like your mm -hmm. website example, it was similar. You, you have a website, now what? If you teach somebody to apply, uh, I think that's where the, the real value is. So I, I think that's yeah. a good call out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and I also agree, right? So yeah, you know, going back to the example, I mean, maybe, maybe it is, you know, people wanting essentially Webpack help, but what they really want is they want um, smaller bundle sizes, um, you know, and, and things like that. Right. And so what your course is, is it isn't, 
here's how you use Webpack, your courses, here how, here's how you get better bundle sizes and, um, you know, faster upload, download, you know, more secure, blah, 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 right? Uh, with Webpack. And so then it's, okay, well, start out using these tools, you know, pull in these config, you know, and so you walk them through the process, mm. right? So instead of saying, you know, here's how to use the map, what you're saying is, is, hey, get in the car and we're going to show you how to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's the thing with, with when selling technical courses is that sometimes we forget that humans are emotional. And yeah. that's, that's why I was not selling anything to begin with, because I was trying to do this, just like this uh, feature list of all the stuff my, my course contained. So I figured out if they looked at that, then they would put one-on-one together and then we'll find out that if this was how valuable this was. But, but when I started actually targeting, not just needs and, and we can go deeper and deeper on, and, and then we're going to hit like primary needs. And uh, what, what you're going to learn a lot of uh, sales book is that humans are reacting to when you target primary needs. They're not, they're not buying features. They're, they're buying uh, satisfaction of primary needs. So for example, getting a, a nice paying software development job, that's a, we, are, we are close to a primary need at that point. Yeah. And when you put up a nice landing page that are going to trigger these emotions tied to that need, then it's going to have a very nice response when you start getting a lot of traffic to like landing page compared to just having, having some features stated on a landing page. Um, I think that's, that's, that's what's going, that's not holding a lot of, um, online, especially in the tech industry, um, people saying online courses, uh, that's what holding them back. Um, having not, not really targeting this primary need. Yeah. And it, I think, how do I put it? Because I think this is where a lot of people get stuck, right? So, um, you know, what you're saying so far makes a lot of sense, right? It's okay. What's the outcome? How do we walk people through the process of getting there? You know, that makes up a good course. You know, people can kind of reason their way through that, but the marketing stuff is tough, right? And so you're talking about, Hey, you know, get a landing page up and, and, you know, tap into that primal, um, that primal need for whatever it is. Right. Um, so how do you, how do you do that? Cause that's easier said than done. I mean, mm. um, copywriting is, it's tricky, at least in my opinion is tricky. Um, I don't know necessarily how to hit all of those points for people. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to landing page, um, what I like to do is I like to apply storytelling on the landing page because especially that's one step before that, actually, before you can do the storytelling, you need to find your persona of your ideal client. So mm-hmm. you can really, and then you need to have some real life or some, some kind of interaction with that uh, real client. Maybe for me, it's pretty easy because I work with software developers all the time. So I understand them pretty well. So right. for me, having this persona tuned in, it's so important. It's so important that you know, what, what the fears and what motivates your, your, uh, dream client, you can say your dream customer, what motivate them, who they are, what's like a a typical description of their lifestyle. And so what, what hobbies do they have all this having this deep understanding of the, 
of, of the client is, uh, is making it so much more easy when you can then apply storytelling in your landing page. So what I'm doing, for example, I'm, I'm writing about a guy that is stressed out and doesn't have time to learn all these new JavaScript frameworks and tools that are popping up all the time. And then I'm presenting myself, how I find a solution to that problem. And ultimately I'm presenting my, uh, my offer as a solution to that problem. So they, they get into that. Uh, they should be able to resonate with that story being told. And then after this, I'm presenting my offer and they can clearly see why it's valuable and I'm spiking emotions, right? It's, it's, it's quite right. emotional you feel here. And I'm, I'm and ultimately, as we talked about before, I'm targeting some primary needs that are uh, striking some pretty serious emotions um, for the developer. And you can only do that when you actually understand your, your dream customer, the one you are targeting here, because that's what it's all about. You're going to find some uh, persona you're going to target and your landing page should be about that one. And you shouldn't try to try to uh, spray and pray on your landing page. You should really focusing on that persona. And, and what I also did was when I started uh, with this, I, um, I actually had, uh, I still had that, um, what people can, can have a Q and a call with me, um, before they, it's, it's kind of like a sales call, but also they can hear about the course and, and, uh, we can talk about if this is a good fit for them or not. And. With these calls, I learned so much about the persona for each call. I learned just more and more. And sometimes I, right after the call, this Q&A call, I just go in and I update the landing page because I just found, ah, okay, this is really what's making them trigger. This is what I'm going to make them buy. And also I'm understanding what's making them not buy. And I'm making sure that's also stated explicitly. So, so I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm already stating that as we read the landing page, this should, this should, it should read me uh, as it should, uh, I should disarm pretty much uh, any, any, uh, anything holding them back from signing up. I think that's really interesting because I, I know that it's an in, integral part of like a landing page or sales page to like overcome common objections uh, and yeah. to be able to understand those ahead of time and address those, I think builds trust with your audience as well. And yeah. when I, when I was going through this, one thing that I found helpful was that, uh, I almost took that persona thing a step further because I was getting really hung up on, uh, on this for a while. And I almost hit this analysis paralysis state. And for anybody that is trying to like put this into practice, I'd even say that what a course or productized service or anything along those lines is really selling is a, some kind of transformation. Right. And so mm. seeing that persona as they are now and in the future state. If you look at it from, okay, this person is frustrated with Angular, you know, or fr frustrated with JavaScript frameworks in general and feeling like it's hard to keep up on what's happening in software development, you know, world um, and, and seeing them where they're at, but then also showing them the bridge to where they want to go uh, and, and speaking to that language. And you use the story, right? You, you showed a story of how you could easily go from that frustrated state to a happier, you know, more profitable, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, uh, you know, that better state that that person could be in, you're, you're showing them, you know, one, two, three, here's how it's going to happen. And I think that's really powerful. Mm, yeah. That was what made it work before I had the, the storytelling. It was not really working. So it's, 
yeah, it's it's so good because it's so important that when the when the potential customer is reading the land page, they should think, oh, that's me. Oh, I, yeah. I also have these problems. Oh, I want to get this transformation. Once they're there, they're pretty hooked. And yeah, it, it, will, it will work nicely. Yeah, that I had heard before. And I, it, the, the problem that I had with it was it was like, okay, but how do I, you know, how do I tap into that? And I think, you know, tap into that language is going to make them say, hey, that's me. And I think what you've done to kind of nail that and help us really understand it is is talking about it from the standpoint of when I have the conversation with them, I think about what they're talking about and then I address that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you get that piece of, I, I don't know exactly what the word would be, but where you get that piece of insight, I guess, into, you, mm-hmm. into the, your customer and make them feel like that is me is because you just had that conversation with somebody who's like them and then you've addressed that particular yeah. need. Exactly. It's also important to state that a Linux page is not something you create and then you just leave it there for years. You are, you are constantly iterating on the landing page because ultimately a landing page is a manifest of how well you know the customer. Mm, I hadn't thought of it that way before, but that makes sense. So every time you learn something new, you learn something uh, based on a lot of, you need to have some quantity. It's not just every time you hear something new because you need to have find the commonalities of the, of the clients. But once you find something new, that's, that's a new up, a common objection to signing up, for example, or a new common need or desire, then you should probably add it to your landing page. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's a great call out that it's a living document. And not yeah. to be too contrarian here, but I, I'm somebody that gets caught up in, uh, you know, working on my website and the tech stuff, uh, like way too much. So I'd, I'd throw out, you know, even though it's a living document, if you, uh, if you're finding yourself, uh, you know, going over your copy over and over again, instead of doing some real work, um, then just remember, I warned you. <laughs> Cause I'm the same way. Like I will get caught up in, in looking over the copy and, you know, I'll think, man, okay, I could do this other stuff, but this is really interesting and fun. And I wonder what they're, you know, mm. and I, I'll go down that rabbit hole. So, uh, but yeah. I do, I think it is a living document. You have to keep mm. going back and, and focusing on, you know, what are the new pain points and what am I discovering here? Yeah. You know, Brad, it's just you. I never have that. Pr- uh, never, never mind. mind. <laughs> I do. I get caught yeah. up in this stupid minutia and yeah, instead mm. of yeah. doing the real work. It, it happens. It happens. Yeah. That's why I'm very aware of it. That's like a big focus in, you know, the coming year. We're coming up on the end of the year and that's something that's been front of mind for me. So I, and it's, it's hard to find that balance. Obviously. I mean, it's, it's important to go back and optimize your processes, but you spend all your time optimizing and you don't get real work done. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So one, one thing, and I'll, I'm going to kind of spoil one of the pro- projects that I have coming up. Um, like I said, I'm going to be putting up a Kickstarter in January and probably uh, start working on it, you know, once I see that it gets funded and stuff. But um, I've had people uh, talk to me about, you know, how to keep current. And one project I want to pull together is uh, an audio course platform. So if Pluralsight and Audible had a baby, it would be this, right? And um the thing is, is a lot of folks, they have subscriptions to video course websites like Audible or, or not Audible, the Pluralsight or Thinkster or something like that. 
and they don't use them because they have to be sitting at their computer to use them. And, you know, so folks have said, that's why I like podcasts. And I'm like, why don't I just, you know, essentially create a series of short run podcasts that people can consume to stay current, but I want to bring in other authors. So how do I go about training new people to create quality courses for the kinds of people that are going to need or want a platform like this? Well, you create a course for it. <laughs> I should have thought of that. No, it makes sense. So you create a course for them. And yeah, so the outcome is, you know, because we talked about this, right? You know, you want to have an outcome that will pay off for them. So the outcome for them is, you know, this is how you create a course that's going to get you more in royalties and notoriety and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's no, it's so, courses are so, online courses are so efficient at creating it's a transformation in, in, in any, any, in any way. So it could, it could work as a, as a course. Yeah. Just. It sounds so obvious when you say it that way. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, the Max Coder's guide to finding your dream developer job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's guide to finding your dream developer job. Have a good one. Max out. I think that's an interesting concept though, because like that's what one of the things that I've been trying to do is like throw together a productized service for small businesses because the platform that I work on can be, you know, a lot of people think it's kind of pricey. And so the entry for small businesses is kind of high. So I'm, I've been trying to figure out a way to service these customers that I like to work with. And one of the ways that I can come up with is like the discovery portion for, you know, implementing technology can take a lot, like a long time. Right. But there's, there's limited value when you're getting started and small businesses are often overrun with a lot of other things. So hanging out with a consultant for three weeks and doing discovery and scheduling a bunch of phone calls, sometimes that's overwhelming. So coming up with that template for that, like when you were saying that I was kind of thinking, well, I'm in the process now of coming up with an implementation template, right? Where we go through and it's basically self-paced discovery. So I'm asking prodding and prompting questions. I'm trying to get them to do discovery on their part and then distill that, lead them down the path of being able to get the, the information that they need out of it and, you know, in a format that we would be able to implement this technology for them. Um, so it was interesting as you went through that, drawing the parallels there, because it, it is such a, like, I'm treating it almost like a course of discovering your business so that you can map that over to a technology. But I mean, it, it's just insane to me how scalable uh, courses and, and are because the the concepts encompassed there can be quite complex, but that's the real trick. I think what you're getting at is the crux of it. How do you come up with that format that's going to be effective across the board for, you know, a lot of different people? That, that's a, I mean, it's a challenge. It's, it's uh, mm. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's probably, again, before you start creating the course, you want to probably uh, do something that that is containing like the same uh, systemized process as the course would contain. You just do it maybe over uh, group coaching to begin with. You can have like uh, a group of, of uh, future course makers taking this group coaching course where you can actually just create the course content in a more collaborative way. And then you're not really, you're not really wasting time because for a group coaching call, you don't need to prepare that much. Like 
as you would with creating like real course videos. So I would, I would probably do that so you can get the early feedback. And once you know that it actually works and it's efficient, that's, that's when I would start actually investing more time in creating a real uh, nice course. Yeah, and I like also, the idea of the webinars there. That was like in group coaching and webinar kind of thing. Yeah. I, I like that idea there because it does give you a really good opportunity to have some interaction, but also to drive the conversation. Yeah, it gives you some very high bandwidth feedback. It's the same thing I did with my Angular training. I started with in-house. I started with doing so many hours of uh, of in-house consulting. And that just, I, I got so much feedback for it. So I knew it was going to work when, before I created the course, I knew how I should, uh, which metaphor, metaphors I should use in the course when I explained different topics to make it stick because I, I just seen people roll their eyes when I said the wrong, when I, when I used specific words. So I know which words I, I should explain even more. So, uh, so people understand it the first time. So yeah, it's so crucial. You get, you get something, uh, some interactive way of doing it first. That's what I would recommend before you actually creating the course, just creating the course without talking to any humans is as doomed pretty much. Yeah. One, one other thing that I'm curious about, cause, um, you know, I'm appealing to other customers. I think a lot of other freelancers are as well. So let's say, um, in fact, Brad, what, what platform do you find yourself, um, freelancing on? Cause you, you mentioned that there was one that was kind of expensive to get into. Yeah. So I'm on, I, I freelance on uh, the Salesforce platform. So okay. like, I, yeah. I mean, as a technology platform and there's like a, a big, uh, a lot of people think it's it's really pricey because it's like probably the most scalable CRM out there, uh, not to do their work for them and sell people on it. But I mean, it is so scalable that, you know, small businesses can use it, but also multi-billion, tens of thousand employee companies can use it. And uh, so there's this like, this is kind of a barrier to entry there that a lot of people perceive, but... Uh, but it's it's kind of interesting because a lot of the, they're trying to appeal to small businesses. They're they're building out feature sets for them, and uh, again, it is really scalable. So I think it's a great platform to get on because it's pretty intuitive and easy to use, and uh, it grows with your business. So there's not really the need to invest up front. But um, a lot of people that uh, these days need a CRM to to keep track of that kind of stuff aren't just aren't using it. Yeah, I guess because I I run into people who, you know, see a large barrier to entry with podcast sponsorships, right? And so I'm also thinking, you know, what, what value can I bring as far as, you know, basically answering people's questions or putting together a course that I put up for free on how to sponsor a podcast, you know, and thereby draw in my target audience, right, by giving them something of value, and so it wouldn't be a paid course, except that, it, you know, I, I essentially get paid when people decided to sponsor my content. Does that make sense? So is, is there another profitable angle here? Or, you know, is the experience with some of the course stuff mostly in the avenue of, um, you know, something that you sell to people as a product itself? Well, I think there's a, a huge growth area for podcasts right now, especially with sponsorship. I mean. Uh, that's still, that's still a thing. Like podcasts are pretty cheap ways for people to sponsor right now, comparatively. And, you know, educating people, you know, even if you were just talking to podcasters about what that process looks like and how they could make it easier for people to sponsor them or what infrastructure they needed to do that. 
I mean, that would be really powerful to a lot of podcasters out there because I'm sure that, you know, if they're at that tipping point, if you, if you know those numbers that the tipping point of these are the people that are really going to be attractive to sponsors. And if you're this type of person, then this is the type of value I could provide. I think that there could be a lot of power in in being that kind of connecting force there. Right. So more in the vein of how to, how to get a sponsorship instead of how to be a sponsor. Cause I've thought about putting together a course on essentially how to get an ROI out of sponsoring podcasts. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting concept for sure. I mean, that's what David A. Fields, he had um, two books, right? And one book he was selling to uh, businesses and the other he was selling to consultants. And he was basically bridging the gap and making the whole world better by, you know, preparing consultants better and also preparing companies better to deal with consultants. And right. um, at least that's my impression of, of what he was doing. And, um, but I think that you're in, you know, kind of, from what I'm hearing, a similar situation where you're kind of, you've already been doing that. There's a, there's a valuable service out there and you could be the bridge that connects those, those worlds, I think. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Just think you start with one of the sides and you build that up and then you can take the other side. I've been, I've been thinking about it myself because in my, on my platform, I get quite a lot of traffic on my blog and my course and such. And I've been thinking about combining this with recruitment and I also have a little bit, but for Mm -hmm. example, taking a, and uh, a senior Angular developer and teaching him how to go freelance and then combining him maybe with a, a headhunting house to get him placed as a, maybe as a contractor somewhere, for example, to go that way. So I'm combining different stuff. I haven't set it up completely, but I, I started looking into it and I had some little pilot uh, group going through that and, and starting setting that up because it's, you're going to get a competitive advantage when you know both sides, you're going to be more valuable for both sides because one side, if you try to sell, uh, so like, uh, tech consultants and you don't really know tech and you cannot train people in tech, it's not as valuable as if you can actually the one that can train them up and you can maybe provide some guarantee and you can provide some mentoring and such as you, as you're doing some recruitment work. So it's nice with, if you can bridge two sides, And that's a huge thing with software development and job finding. And Chuck, I know, you know, you, you wrote the fantastic book on it, but it's like, once you start building that trust up, that's what all the activities in your book as a software developer, uh, you know, software development is, yeah, there are some really good software developers out there and there are some not so good ones out there. And if you're the one taking the time to build the trust and do that, then, you know, being able to leverage uh, you know, somebody that's teaching a course and is going to put their stamp of approval and, and confer that trust on somebody. I think there's definitely value there. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And and that's really what it boils down to, at least in the job search. I mean, that's what my whole book is about is how to build that trust and how to build relationships that are going to get you that job. And it's not just a job. It's the job that you want. It's the job that's going to make you happy. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to dive into that a little bit more, I think, and just see what the possibilities are there. So besides putting up a solid landing page, I mean, you still have to get traffic to the landing page, right? So do you have any other ideas or tips or, you know, words of wisdom, I guess, on how to do that? Yeah, let's talk about marketing yourself as a software developer, because... Right before I, I went freelance uh, one and a half year ago, so I haven't really been doing it for so long. 
But a couple of months before I went freelance, I figured out if I created a blog and I was posting once a week, then that would scale exponentially over time. And it really has. So, you know, to begin with, no one is reading your blog, but it's still nice to, to have the blog to begin with as a better proof of you actually knowing what you're talking about. When, for example, when you're, you're getting that freelance contract and, and they're reading that, it's, it's, uh, it, it's a nice proof and it will help you early on, even before you get all the SEO benefits and you get any high-end uh, backlinks and such. That will, it's pretty much, uh, it's about getting these high-end backlinks that will you'll start getting a lot of traffic as well as you having a lot of blog posts out there. So, so I was posting a blog post each week uh, pretty consistently. Um, the whole time. And right now I'm getting around 2000 page views a day. So that's, that's pretty good. And I'm pretty confident it will just increase and increase if I just keep posting a blog post once a week. And that's, that's basically how you build up the platform. It's going to be the most valuable asset of, of your, your freelance and your training company, because that is some serious inbound marketing you're going to get yeah. from that. That's basically, I, I haven't had an updated CV in a long time because I'm just using my blog to get jobs now when getting consulting jobs. And people are uh, reading my blog and it's I'm not even getting, getting screened at interviews anymore because I have so much content out there where I'm just talking about so much technical stuff. So it's so easy to get, get jobs as you really have all these blog posts. I think I have like 75 blog posts now and that's just you can just read for hours and hours and it's just that that will work for you as a marketing a salesperson all the time and it will just ensure you get all the jobs you want as well as when it comes to selling online courses now you've got all this traffic you get all this blog posts on your blog that is pretty much conveying that you know what you're talking about you have all these you can call it like small teasers where you say oh, this is just a a small part of it. If you want the whole package, you should sign up for the course. So it would be hard to do without the blog. That's one thing with the blog. Another thing I also done recently is I have been working on my social media and for software developers, I haven't really found Facebook to be very available. So I focused on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn as my uh, main marketing platforms. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, what I'm basically doing and what is, is really helped me uh, filling up the sales pipeline is posting on Twitter and LinkedIn every day. Every day, write something little valuable posts that are, for me, it's about Angular development. I Maybe I'm posting in some little code snippet, something that could provide value. And I'm just making sure to post that every day because that's also working really good. And it's also, that's, that's getting... But if I measure the traffic from that, it's probably more than I get from my blog because this social media, you can scale that up pretty fast. Uh, for example, by going and adding 30 to 40 relevant people on LinkedIn every day, you're going to get a lot of, of uh, following on that. And then they may be going to your blog later. They might end up in your newsletter later where I'm normally I'm writing a, a broadcast mail to the newsletter once a week giving update. And then, you know, they eventually going to end up in the pipeline and then they're ready for it. They will sign up for the course if it's a good fit for them. So it's about that and just planting these seeds and just letting them grow over time. Yeah. One thing that I've run into with this, and uh, I don't know if, 
Uh, I'm sure it's a common issue for other people. And I'm, I'm still not really that good at it, to be perfectly honest. But um, a lot of people run into the issue of what do I post? What do I write? I mean, every day is a lot, right? Even if it's a small snippet or something, it's still hard to do. So how, how do you approach that and feel comfortable that you're, you know, you're posting the stuff that's going to make a difference for you? So right now I'm spending most of my time doing Angular consulting work. And every time I found, find some problem, I write it down. I use Asana where I have a project there and I just write it down as a future blog post. So, oh, nice. so I'm sitting there eight hours a day and doing consulting and pretty much every day I can find some problem uh, that, I solved, that I could write a blog post about. And sometimes maybe it's a big problem I could write in, in a whole blog post series. So that way, as long as I do consulting, I never run out of stuff to blog about, honestly. Also, right. even if I didn't do that, I could just read other people's blogs and I could do my own uh, take. For example, I could read some other people's um, blog on something and I could do my own real life take on how I solve something and maybe put my own experience into it. So I, I'm, I still, I'm not just copying what other people are writing, but I'm, I'm providing value by showing my own real life experience with something and, and showing some, maybe some other code examples and some other way of doing it. That way I will never run out of stuff to, to write about. And also with the social posting, for every blog post, you can probably find like 10 posts or something to, to post about. So if, when you get like almost a hundred blog posts, you can, that can run for years, the whole marketing machine. and. It's, it's very efficient when you get in front of the audience every day. It's, it's, it's really going to gonna get them very familiar to you. And, and over time, sometimes after a couple of months, the pipeline, they're going to be ready and they want to sign up. Yep. I, yeah, I think that's a good call out. When I started like doing the content thing, and it does seem overwhelming at first, but I almost made it a game where I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down for five or 10 minutes and see what I would like to write about. And, or do a, I'd also do videos. So. I found video to be really effective, um, especially in combination with LinkedIn. But when you do that, it almost becomes a game where you you start, like you said, you you start seeing problems and, and issues that people are having as you're consulting. And uh, I, I listened to um, uh, Business of Authority with Jonathan Stark, uh, Rochelle Moulton. They had a great formula. Rochelle brought up the point that you can do, like, if you see a problem, then there's three ideas right there because you've got the what is the problem and, and why it's a problem and, and go into, you know, the business scenario, then you can take that and uh, give a, a tactical solution to it. And that's a second post, you could actually do, you know, here's how you solve this problem, right? And then three, this is how it ties into strategy, or here's how this problem can affect your strategy. So, you know, by breaking it up into different scopes, you're basically saying, oh, this one thing, you can actually write multiple angles about it. So mm -hmm. yeah, I thought that was a, a good take out, take away. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah. I like it. Um, a few other things that I've done that have helped out with some of this stuff is um, I'll go find a blog post that explains something that I want to understand. And you can usually break that down into, you know, a dozen tweets or something. Right. And then yeah. the other thing is, is you can refer back to the person who's, whose blog post you've written. Right. And so you can actually give attribution and then if they're a big fish out there in the Twitter ocean, then they may retweet you and then you start getting followers that way. Um, another trick that I've seen with this, 
Um, in fact, it's a product and I'll put a link in the show notes. I think I have an affiliate link for this. Um, but if you're trying to get into blogging, um, I've used over and over and over again, 31 days to build a better blog by Darren Rouse. And yeah, I mean, you wind up posting every day for 31 days, right? Which is effectively a month, you know, might be more than a month for half the months out there. But I mean, you could just do that over and over and over and over again in order to get um, some quality content out there. And yeah, just make it, what, what I find is that I, I like to create a list of the things that I have to do in the day. And there's usually one thing that I'm trying to get into the habit of. And so for, for you, that one thing could be 31 days to build a better blog. And then if you're only, see, I, I don't work on Saturday or Sunday. If, if I can help it on Saturday and I don't work on Sunday unless something's burning down. But what that does is it takes that 31 days and all of a sudden it stretches out to, you know, five or six weeks. Because the, you know, I, I skip the weekends and then I come back. So day six is the, you know, the second Monday. And so that works out well too, where you, then you get this long train of content and it's all the kind of content that people want. And you kind of move through things like that. And it, it's got some different blog post types and things like that that are highly effective at getting clicks and things like that. So that's another one. And then you can always go look and see what's tw trending on Twitter in that space by just look, you know, searching for the, the term you want, you can go see what's, you know, on the top of Stack Overflow or stuff like that, not Stack Overflow, uh, Hacker News, um, all of that stuff. And if you can write something that ties in with whatever it is that's trending, you can get a lot of traffic off of that too. But yeah, and then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention podcasts as well. And so you can get on, you can just, I mean, that's what we're doing. We're just discussing this topic. And, you know, you get enough stuff out there for people who are trying to get the outcome that you want. And you can kind of create a course out of the content, the free content. And then obviously, you know, the, the real um, hard hitting, which isn't, you know, you're not hiding anything on the podcast. But instead, what you're doing is, again, you know, it's that structure, right, that you're paying for. And so you're not hiding the stuff on the podcast. What you're doing is you're saying, hey, look, you know, this is an hour long. The course is six hours and it's going to walk you through the whole process. I love but how I'll, meta that got podcasts on podcasts. It's cool. Yeah, we should do an episode on podcasts for freelancing. For sure. I would listen to it. <laughs> uh, you might be on it. Yeah, scary, huh? Uh, no, but I, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, one of the, the low-tech things that I do is I go on Google and uh, I have like just typed in a generic, like the most generic terms are around the subject that I'm doing and see what the suggested searches are and see what other people are, are typing in. And that's, and then I'll go through and I'll kind of spider those pages. So I'll see the top three to five articles and see the date that they were last written, see if they're out of date, if there's an update. I mean, obviously if they were popular at some time, then people are, you know, there's going to be some uh, mojo there. Some, uh, so writing about those things or talking about those topics, that's, I had a, you know, not a roaring success, but a pretty good turnout just by writing about, uh, you know, different integrations that, uh, that Salesforce uses like MailChimp. I, I just use some mojo based off of that. And, uh, you know, that's one of my most searched YouTube videos and I get 60% organic traffic search for that. And it's just because I picked something that hadn't been touched in a while and I've revamped it. So, you know, the way information comes out, just 
if you if you're worried about uh you know writing every day writing regularly or anything like that uh you know not everything's going to be a hit but you know what the thing that i'm getting at is or hearing is that it's it's like that old chinese proverb the first you know best time to plant a tree is 50 years ago second best time is today uh you know it's not going to build up steam if you don't get started so yeah and it's, yeah. it's so common i remember when i started up blocking i think my first blog post it took me like one month to write because i was so self-conscious about it and I, that's pretty common when i'm when now i'm mentoring other people but want to start go freelance and build up a, a brand as a software developer i see the same problems over and over again they just can't stop go and tweak on the blog and getting the right colors and getting the right design right before they actually start doing the real marketing, which it was supposed to do in the first place. So it's it's pretty crazy how that just get postponed. The main thing is just forgotten about and we just got lost in the details. Of course, it's procrastination and it's it's fear and it's something new that we are that might feel uncomfortable to the to the person starting a blog or, or starting anything new where you're putting yourself out there. That's that's probably what's going to keep people away from it. And also the thing that it should be so perfect to begin with. And honestly, the first blog post you write, they should be the least perfect because no one is probably reading them. And you're going to, it's, it's just a reference experience. You're starting out and you're not, you're probably your message and your way of writing is not fine tuned yet. You're just getting started with something really. So, yeah. Um, and also if you can learn a lot from just Googling other people's blog posts in, in the subject, and you can make sure that you are taking all those points into consideration when you're writing your take on the subject. So that's going to optimize it for it being, being as good as, as the other uh, available blog posts, at least. Yeah. Back when we were starting up new shows, one of the shows that got started was Views on View. And one of the things that was really fun about that is that I got to know a bunch of really terrific people in the View community. And furthermore, one thing that happened that really hadn't happened on any of the other shows, we actually got a member of the core team to come on as a regular panelist on the show. We have Chris Fritz on there. The other thing is, is you may recognize some of the other voices. Ben Hong, who's on the official View News podcast, is also a panelist on the show. He's worked for Politico and now works for GitLab. We also have a bunch of other terrific panelists that come on and talk to you about what's going on in the View community. And because they're so closely tied to View and they talk to people about View all the time, they're very up-to-date and very knowledgeable about what's going on in the Vue community. So if you're looking for a way to learn Vue.js, or if you're looking for a way to stay current with Vue.js and kind of have the water cooler conversations you wish you could have about it in places where maybe they're not using it, then definitely check it out. You can find it at viewsonview.com. One other thing I'm going to throw out, there's a free tool from Neil Patel. It's called Ubersuggest. Um, and if you just go to neilpatel.com and then click on tools, it's listed there. And it's an SEO keyword tool. And so, for example, um, I've been looking at for a while, you know, ways to promote JavaScript Jabber, which is one of our podcasts, right, to get people over there. And so I just type JavaScript in and looking at the, the, the keyword suggestions. And most of these are pretty attainable, right, because it tells you how many um, questions or different details you get from that, right? And so there are like 30, 33,000 searches for it, right? On on how to do a for each in JavaScript. And the first two were like the MDN, which is the Mozilla developer write up on it. The second one is W3 schools. 
And then a lot of the rest of these are just blog posts that are written. And um, it drops off pretty dramatically after the first uh, probably three or four as far as like how many click-throughs people are getting and what they're, how they're ranking. And so, um, you know, it's telling me that I could probably write a decent, uh, a decent article on how to do a JavaScript for each, right? And I'd probably wind up breaking for, you know, JavaScript for each and JavaScript for loop. Um, the fourth term is JavaScript array, you know, and then you've got like for JavaScript loop, for JavaScript array, JavaScript in array. And so what I can do is I can actually basically, um, you know, write this up. JavaScript loop is the next one, right? And so I can use a lot of these terms in there. So if you're working in a JavaScript loop or a JavaScript for loop, you might want to use a JavaScript for each. And, you know, I can start ranking for those terms and get some SEO juice out of it that way. But the other thing that's interesting is let's say I write that one and then the next term is JavaScript map. And then um, I don't know what JavaScript snake is, but JavaScript um, substring, JavaScript function, right? So I can write articles on all those things. JavaScript promises, JavaScript replace, JavaScript tutorial, JavaScript reduce, right? And so there are all of these different things that are easily things that I could write a blog post on. And then I start ranking for JavaScript, right? Because now I'm getting juice out of all of these other topics. And so then if I write up a JavaScript course, you know, on JavaScript basics or JavaScript arrays, which a lot of these relate to, then I can really start, you know, pulling that data in, ranking for the things that matter, and then hopefully converting people over. I like that. And the the, the thing that I think we're circling the drain here on too, is like the content, the, the value of the content, that's, that's why people like this stuff. So if you're creating valuable content, then people are going to like it. They're going to share it. They're going to view it. They're going to reference it. So wherever, whatever that special sauce that you have that you're trying to get out into the world, if you're writing about that in a unique way or applying it to somebody's specific problem, then that's what eventually you're going to get a lot better at as you build content as well, is not only just the, the, mechanics behind it, but identifying those things that are going to provide value. And, you know, like you're saying, these, these are things that you're looking at are the things that people are, you know, applying directly to their dev skills for JavaScript. So finding those and identifying and, and providing values, that's ultimately what, you know, it matters. Yeah. Right. Now I want to tie this back into courses, right? Cause that's why Christian's here. So if you get people onto your website, looking at an angular um, article, how do you get them to convert? I mean, how, do you get them on your mailing list and sell them there? Are you getting them to actually go like show up and I don't know, yeah, and, you know, and click on a link in there and then buy? I mean, how, how are you getting people over from doing all these different things to so from, becoming pur purchasers? Yeah. So from my side, I have four entry levels to the landing page. One of them is just at the nail bar where it says free Angular Architect seminar lesson. So that's just a little teaser from a free lesson. Oh, there you go. And the other thing is I use a, a, a email pop-up. When you go in and you read a blog post, you're going to get a pop-up. And I found some are getting a little bit annoyed from that, but it just works so well. It, it's, yeah. it's, been, it's been tested. It, nothing works better than a pop-up. Even, I know it's annoying. I hate it also, but it just works so well. When I set this up with a pop-up, it has a nice 
um, some nice valuable free content you have can, you have to offer. It's it's works really well, and you're gonna get a lot of people in your mailing list. So so uh, I find out that uh, that really works well. Also, when you scroll down to the bottom of my blog, it says, uh, "Do you want to learn more about this stuff? Uh, check out this free lesson here." And that's also taking me to the landing. It also takes the reader to the landing page. And also, when you scroll even further, it's it asking you if you like the content on the blog, and just if you want to subscribe to the blog, which also going to put people on the mailing list. So I had these, mm-hmm. um, these different entry points. So people can might join for different reasons. And then then the mailing list, that's where the, the real sales work happens because normally I don't expect people to buy an expensive course just right away. You need want to get familiar with the, with the course creator and the content and, and really build up some trust to that person before you sign up. So, um, so it's just about getting them in the sales pipeline, getting them familiar with you, just provide a lot of lot of value to them, be really helpful to them. And when the time time comes, they they want to to when want some very good training, they're probably gonna pick you. Yeah, that makes sense. And I love, you know, you're talking about an entry into your your uh sorry, into your mailing list. Yeah. And it seems like that's really a, a quality way to do it. So once they're on the mailing list then how often are you pitching them on the course? I'm not, you should, I, I don't like to pitch them too often. So in the, in the footer of the mailing list, I have a link where I'm saying that, uh, do we want to be an, become an Angular architect? Uh, check out this uh, free lesson or something like that, where I'm just taking them to the, to the landing page again. And then normally I'm actually, I'm not even pitching them uh, unless I'm running some some specially timed right. campaign where, for example, uh, I did something for Black Friday, for example, where I ran a campaign at that point. Normally, I don't, I don't do uh, too much spamming about the course because I just keep it in the footer and then I just try to be as helpful and valuable as possible in the email. And also one other thing, if I get some testimonial, I like to uh, share that in the email as well because kinda social proof is so powerful. Mm-hmm. to building trust because I can say it's so great and all that, because, but I'm a salesperson. So you're going to be a little skeptical, right? So yeah, social proof and testimonials, that works well. And also just, just let them see for themselves how, how, how much value you can provide by just keep blocking every week. And as you write a new blog post every week, or maybe just find someone else blog post you want to share, then you just go and share them, share it to the email list. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Anything else that you want to add or anything that we didn't think to ask about? Let's see. Um, so a little bit about the different, how I got into, uh, as, how I started as a freelancer and how I got into product sales oh, yeah. and, and like how that whole uh, software developer career journey. I'm sure you know a lot about. Um, so for me, it seemed pretty obvious that I wanted to own my own company and, and sell products or own something that's valuable in the end. Uh, instead of going like the typical career ladders, becoming a manager, stuff like that, that's never really appealed to me. And I found it quite limiting because from one day to another, you can be fired. And then, then you, you have nothing because yeah, you're just in a position where that can happen to you. But if yeah. you have your own company, especially when you grow and you have uh, sell products and you have a lot of customers, then you are in a pretty nice position in terms of lifestyle, freedom, 
maybe you're independent from location because you don't you don't need to show up to some specific office every day you can you can go on vacation when you like and all that you get a lot of freedom and you get some very nice money out of it so that's why i figured out i could start going freelance as as the natural step from having a regular job as a software developer i worked as a software developer had a full-time job for almost two years before i started freelancing and then from there, it just seemed obvious that the next natural step would be to do product sales. And it's pretty powerful how you can, you can use freelancing to both. It's fueling the, my, me with knowledge I can use to my cause. So, um, so yeah, normally as a freelancer, you will, you will hit like a, a barrier of how much you can earn pretty fast, I would say, where it's, it's hard to get, to get past that hourly barrier. Um, uh, for example, Jonathan Stark talks a lot about value-based pricing as an alternative to, uh, to pricing hourly, which is what a lot of companies do. And I tried doing that for a while um, as a way to scale vertically in my one-man freelancing business. But what I found out is that with hourly, uh, with value-based pricing and these um, value-based projects, it takes a lot of time to set it all up and you also lose a lot of flexibility by doing it because you're doing probably doing a lot of similar services that are very uh, very scoped in a contract, but also you can make you can have a pretty nice effectively hourly rate. So what I actually found out was a better way to do it. What I'm doing now is I'm I actually I'm doing hourly work now, but the hourly work is fueling my online course sales. So effectively. And I'm actually making a lot more per hour because what I make, what I'm, when I'm working, I learn stuff that I'm both, I can create, uh, use it to write a blog post, which is going to uh, increase my, my visitors on my site. And also I can improve my, my course. Yep. Yeah. It makes sense. I think so, that's a good. Uh, I was, yeah. I think that's a like great perspective there because there's you do want to an asset that that way and and you know a lot one of one of the appeals of like productized service offerings for me is that i i do freelancing I, i'm moonlight so doing this uh you know productized service being able to to put that scope out there and do that kind of thing you know I, that's that's very appealing to me and i think a course is you know very similar to that because you're you're building this product that's going to leverage its systems to to you know be very scalable and uh, really, uh, you know, eventually give you a lot more freedom in how you implement. So, yeah, and also basically, if you can, if you can learn something from your hourly work, if you did do some hourly work and you can actually use it in your product sales, then it, you're not really working hourly anymore because it's actually you're working on your product sales actually while while you're doing it. So that's pretty that's a pretty smart way to overcome the normal limitations of having an hourly uh, built uh, business. Yeah. I mean, some of my first clients, I, I basically did consulting, you know, by the hour on phone calls. So they would sign up, pay for a call and we jump on and talk about what issues they're having. And that's, you know, what initially gave me the idea even to start looking at ways that these people that, you know, are, you know, honest, in all honesty, they're pretty price sensitive. They're not looking to spend a ton of money, but they do have these needs out there. How can I service them? And that, that's what initially gave me the idea to, you know, for, uh, the momentum to uncover those needs in the first place. And it does give me material for content and what people are, are worried about and uh, 
you know, what they're asking about. So I think that's great perspective that you can gain from that. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you see this going at this point? You know, or, or do you see yourself becoming kind of this uh, course maven or are you looking to do something a little bit different that, you know, we just not seeing here in our conversation or yeah. How does this all look for you in the future? Yeah, I actually have this roadmap of how I can create different courses later that can maybe, as we talked about, I can target both sides of, of two needs. So for example, combining recruitment with uh, software development training could be really cool to set that up at both sides. Now I know that I need to get one side up and running really well before I can introduce another one really well. So I have time for it, but that definitely my goal to have that, that complete ecosystem of courses that ultimately are going to solve uh, some very, uh, very valuable needs and going to help a lot of people. So what are some of the systems that you're putting in place? And like, uh, as you look forward to that, what are some of the things that you found it really helpful to look into systematizing or, you know, to be able to leverage as you build out the, the that framework for those courses? So are there things you're learning now that you're definitely going to apply going forward? Are there lessons learned there? Um, I'm really interested in that. Yeah. Um, what I'm, how I'm running my courses right now is I have, I've been doing uh, two times weekly Q and A calls with, uh, with the students of the course. So uh, they can come and ask me questions um, when they are sitting and with problems related to Angular development and maybe more like architectural questions to Angular development uh, as we're going through the course. Um, otherwise than that, I'm just building more content and I'm revisiting the content when it gets outdated. But I try to keep the, the content pretty timeless so I, I don't need to update it too much uh, while it still is, uh, is, um, is appropriate and, uh, and valuable. That's a good call out on the evergreen content too, because there, I find myself um, like I, I cool off after I write a piece of content and then I go back through it and I'll actually edit out some of the things that I might have to update later if they changed. Um, and, you know, especially if I think it's going to, you know, if I've gotten good feedback on that content, then that's something that I try to do because that's, you know, it, especially as you get more and more content out there, it can be a pain to go back and, and try to update it. Right. Yeah, especially with some very cutting edge uh, technology, then it's gonna, you know, it's gonna change all the time. So you want to make it focus on the basic principle that works. And yeah, it's nice if you have some way where you can easily swap out the new parts. I what I do is I have some cheat sheets or some other guides that are separate from the actual lessons, so I can easily update uh, the, the how-to guides. Yeah, well, luckily you were on Angular, which doesn't change that much, right? Like. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it. <laughs> I was going to say it, it, it inside depends. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're getting ready to release angular nine. So mm -hmm. I know. Right. It's not like they changed uh, from uh, over to TypeScript like halfway through or anything like that. Well, a lot of the TypeScript changes came through in angular two and from angular one to right. two. Yeah, that that was a major change. Most of the changes that have come through on Angular now are not massive changes, but some of them are at a fundamental enough level to where if you've explained Angular fundamentals, you're going to have one or two things that probably still work, but could be done better in a different way. Yeah, for example, I'm pretty oh, confident. Sure. I need I need to update some stuff in January when Angular 9 comes out. Just 
because there are going to be some stuff that's just at least I'm going to, the example projects are at least going to be at Angular 9. I need to do stuff like that, but it's only once every, every half year Angular updates. So yeah, I got to manage. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, and they, they were supposed to, I think they were supposed to release it this month and then they, they kind of re, they, they rethought the way that that went together. So yeah, it's, it's, it's quite big for the Ivy. Right yeah, now. it's 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 a quite big release next time, so probably want to make sure everything works nicely. Yeah, boy, I bet I bet some people are like, Chuck's brought up like three different technologies. Yes, I talk on podcasts all week about different topics. <laughs> so, yeah, but but it is a good example of yeah, what what to put in, what to keep out, and how to keep it current and all that stuff. Um, I am a little curious because I've seen this before where. Um, for example, an ebook or a course will come out and then they do wind up having to change stuff. And sometimes they'll give you the, the updates for free and sometimes they'll make you pay for them. Uh, do, you have, uh, do you have thoughts on that? So I'm actually, I'm selling my course on two licenses. One license is the lifetime license where as soon as you sign up, you get access to um, the Slack workspace I use for the interactive part of the community for my students and the course portal you get lifetime access to that and you get all the updates for that. Another offer I have is you get three months access and the course is actually, it's an eight week course, but you got three months to get access to the Slack workspace. You can go and Q and a calls with me. I can, I can coach you. I can help you. I can, I can look at your problems and it's just for a limited period of time. So that's how I do it. Oh, that makes sense. So then if a major update comes on week four, you still have access to it if, for the three months. And if the timing doesn't work out that way, then you're out of luck. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. How do you manage? Um, there are a lot of um, membership site management tools out there that'll do this kind of thing. Um, I'm more interested in how you manage it for Slack. Is there some automation tool you use for that? I use, uh, what do I use? I think I just, I just set it up with WordPress. So WordPress... Uh, how is it? So WordPress, they put people, so I use WooCommerce for WordPress. When they sign up, they're going to end up in active campaign, which is mm -hmm. my CM system and in active campaign. I think I used uh, Sapia. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I use Sapia for automation. So Sapia from active campaign to Slack and to Kajabi. I use uh, Kajabi for my course portal. So okay. everything is automated in that way. And so when, when their uh, membership expires, then Zapier will kick them out of Slack? Uh, yeah, out of Slack and out of Kajabi. Right. So I can just set up an automation like that. It's, it's pretty good integration. Thought. Nice. Yeah. And I, I have a couple of picks on some of this stuff, but I'll save them for the picks. In fact, we should probably get to that soon because I think we're almost out of time. So um, any other words of wisdom before we hit the picks? I think we covered it all here. All right. Good deal. Um, well then we're going to make Brad give us some picks. Might have to find his mute button. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So for picks, I'm actually kind of excited. Uh, I have this, uh, website that I've been checking out. Uh, they also have a podcast, I think, but it's artofmanliness.com. And I read this article, uh, from a psychologist a while ago, uh, or they were covering this book about these seasons of a man's life. And, you know, I, I line this up to my own life and I was just blown away by it. So I'm going to, I'll send you the link to that and we can put it in the notes, but artofmanliness.com is really cool. It also taught me how to loud whistle, uh, which is, I think is like a, a dad skill. When I became a dad, I was like, I need to learn how to loud whistle. 
So I did that. But uh, anyways, it's a great website for all things about being a, a grown-up male in today's world. So that's really cool. And uh, I'd also like going along with the um, like the story, uh, the story concepts that we talked about. I've been uh, following uh, Donald Miller's uh, blog and and uh, podcast for a little bit about marketing and storytelling, and they've got uh, some great stuff over there about you know coming up with a persona and how to tell a story that, that puts your uh, client, you know, in the hero seat. So, yeah, I need to learn how to loud whistle. My, my dad, he would walk out the front door and put fingers in his mouth and w- we could hear him like, you know, halfway across the state. So I need yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. Classic dad move. Yep. <laughs> um, I've got a couple of picks. Um, the first one is a podcast that I've been listening to for a while off and on that I've really been enjoying. It's called the adventure zone. Um, the first story arc, which took him like three years, but was super fun to listen to, uh, basically D and D. And now they're playing another storyline that I've been listening to. I think they just finished it, but I'm still like two or three years behind, um, on that show. But it's, it, it's called, they're calling it amnesty and it's based on monster of the week, which is a different role play system. And I've just really enjoyed it. And if you're looking for kind of uh, storytelling ideas and things like that. Um, it's, it's pretty awesome. And I really, really have enjoyed it. Um, as far as tools go, Uber suggest was going to be one of my picks. And so I'll just put a link to Uber suggest in the show notes. Um, we do that by putting it in the chat, by the way, Christian. And then, uh, the other pick that I have is if you're going to put together a course and, you know, offer the kind of access that we've kind of talked about on here, and I'm thinking about doing this for some of the other stuff that I've got going on. Um, what I'm looking at using is um, the setup that's outlined on membersiteacademy.com. And yes, it is a membership site that teaches you how to build membership sites. And uh, yeah, they have videos and walkthroughs for all that stuff. They show you how to set it all up on um, WordPress. So you wind up help, more or less hosting it yourself. But yeah, it's it's a terrific um, way to go. And I have a link for that as well. And it's it's an affiliate link. So I'll get a little money if you go sign up for it. But go sign up for it if you're interested in putting something like this together. And then finally, yeah, keep an eye out for that Kickstarter campaign about uh, the courses that should come out like the the week after New Year's is when that should go up. And I'll probably run it for about a month and let people back the project. So yeah, that's what I've got. Uh, Christian, do you have some things you want to shout out about? Yeah, I have two picks, two books that have helped me uh, scaling my freelance business. One of them is Selling to Big Companies by Jill Conrath. And basically, it teaches you how to get through the gatekeeper and how to come to the decision maker from a valuable and not as much as an annoying and sleazy uh, salesperson perspective and how you can actually convey value um, from the beginning of the interaction and like finding good ways to to start uh, starting a, a dialogue um, with a decision maker which has helped me a lot getting some nice freelance contract when you know this and you can you can start uh, getting in touch with the, the big decision makers another pick is blue ocean strategy because um, when selling courses it's very important that you can be different from the competition. And what Blue Ocean Strategy is, uh, is teaching you is how you can evaluate the competition and how you can make yourself better, cheaper, and, uh, and just different from the competition. 
And uh, yeah, it's probably the best uh, book on business strategy I've ever read. So uh, I can definitely recommend that one. Nice. And if people want to find you online, uh, where are the best places to do that? At Twitter, I'm at Chris Luderman and my blog is at christianluderman.com. Nice. Do you want to spell that for people so that they can find it? So it's C-H-R-Christian-L-Y-D-E-M-A-N-N.com. Awesome. Yeah, just it, it's not spelled the way I would have guessed. And so I wanted you to spell it out so people find it. Yeah, it's All right, very cool. Yep. Well, we'll have to see about getting you on Adventures in Angular to talk about becoming an Angular architect. And uh, yeah, but this was really cool. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. And uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.